O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. They grow weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Amen. And Father, as we hear from your word, would you guide our hearts and send your spirit to give us understanding and to transform our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Chris. So I've uh, titled the sermon today, Surviving Suffering, because it effectively details the plight of someone who is buried underneath an avalanche of pain and their climb out of it. You see, in this psalm, we witness the life of King David uh, as it languishes. He is troubled to his bones and he is swimming in tears. Perhaps you have experienced uh, this reality. We're not quite sure why David was devastated to this degree. Um, Some have suggested that it's related to his his son uh, Absalom's rebellion. And if you know the story, his kid did in fact quite, uh, create quite uh, uh, some chaos around his life. Um, and quite, a, quite a, a problem for his old man. Uh, but the truth is, um, this side of the resurrection, we'll, know, we'll never actually know what happened, what was troubling him, what, what was actually going on in the psalm. And so, um, perhaps you're wondering, if, if we don't know a- actually what's going on with the trouble, uh, why this particular psalm today? Well, I'll give, you, I'll give you two reasons. One, because primarily it shows us how he, and therefore we, can navigate our pain, how one can move from heartbreak to hope. And two, personally, it's a very personal psalm to me, because this is the psalm which met me the morning after my son, uh, Miles, passed away in an accident. Uh, it, it, this psalm was the psalm that I read on the day of my most profound pain, the most profound pain I've ever ever experienced, this was the psalm that that met me. Now, I know that's that's heavy, but that's the topic for today, and if you know a little bit about me, that's what kind of what I like to do, is go right into the gnarly. (laughs) And so we're going right into the gnarly. Um, So we suffer. How do we survive it? I don't have to make a case for suffering. We suffer. But how do we survive it? Well, hopefully this will be real short, simple, and sweet. 
Hopefully we can all notice, notice with me, how David cries, how he calls to mind, and ultimately where he places his confidence. We need to pay close attention to how David prays his pain. Okay, notice how David prays his pain. It's really beautiful. It's helpful. So we'll begin with David's cry. David's cry. David shows us that real humans actually cry and that it's okay to be a blubbering mess before the Lord. I love that. I love that David shows us this. One of the reasons I love Psalms in general is because it devotes a third of its language to the genre of lament. There's a, there's a sweetness, and perhaps for me it's just a bit of misery, loves company kind of thing, but there is a gift of being able to witness one wrestling with and praying their pain in the world as it should not be. Psalm 6, in particular, is important to me and to us because David, in his cry, is not sugarcoating anything. He's as real as you possibly can get when you are, when you are crying out in your pain. Uh, all the pain is pouring out of him. The pain that he has done and the pain which has been done to him. He cries out to God to be covered by the grace of God in verse 1 and around the thing for which we do not have an answer to. And a covering for the growing grief around him at the hands of his enemies in verse 7. In this moment, he's so much like Shasta in the uh, C.S. Lewis book, The Horse and His Boy. He turns to the Lord and he tells him all of his sorrows. Tells him all of his sorrows. This is important because the starting point to surviving suffering is turning to the Lord and telling him everything that hurts. You have to tell him everything. And that's a hard thing to do, especially if you are familiar with pain. Um, often we are like the little kid who gets hurt, and when the parent uh, our guardian comes to, to investigate and assess the, the wound, we, we often do this. We're afraid to show them because we're afraid it might fall off, right? We're, we're saying, if I, if I show them, then it must mean my arm's going to fall off. If I, if, I, if I show them the blood, it might pour completely out of my body, and that's a problem. But David, he, he's brave because it puts it all out there. He's, he's putting his confidence in the Lord, in his cry, and he's putting it all there, all out there. He's, he's, telling, he's telling the Lord all his, his sorrows. David's example is helpful in teaching us that our cry, it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be, uh, uh, you know, the, re, the, the rhetoric of your religiosity doesn't have to be beautifully portrayed in your words. No, it simply has to be honest. God just wants us to tell him everything. Tell him everything the way we know how to tell it. And therefore, uh, we learn something really important from him. Like Chunk in the Goonies confessing to the Fratellis, we need to tell him everything. And if you haven't seen that movie, you are missing out on a beautiful piece of life. Okay? I'll just put it there. 
All the, all the naughtiness and everything. I love it. But what David tells us in the cry is to don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Tell him everything that hurts. And especially, specifically what he touches on here, especially when it comes to your displeasure with the time frame of resolutions. In verse 3, David simply says, How long? How long, O Lord? He says, how long is this going to hurt? It's hurt so bad. And how long? How long is it going to hurt? Waiting stinks. How many of you are good at patience? Any of you? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? No, no, nobody's good at waiting Especially when you're waiting for something so painful to pass, right? That's, that's when it hurts. None of us like to wait. I like the way Keller explains this, this word, how long. He says, waiting is hard. How long, O Lord, is a cry of someone who has walked with more pain and sickness than they thought they could ever bear? That's what, that's what the cry of how long is. It's, Lord, I, this is too much. When will it stop? And you can tell from my emotion and my tears that I'm far too familiar with this struggle. This is, this is uh, I know this stuff. I know this material, okay? Um, every day, it's, I'm go, it's going on two years now since my son died. In October, it'll be two years. feels like it happened... Ages ago, it feels like it happened yesterday. But every day, I register a protest to the Lord. Every day. Whether it's verbalized or a deeply uh, cataloged awareness of just how unfair, not right, and painful it is to not have my son in this world, I remind God of the wound that I have. I remind him but I know that I'm not the only one with a wound. What are your wounds? What do you have that is too much to bear and that you're struggling and hoping it will pass? Well, what is your wound? Like Shasta to Aslan, tell him all your sorrows. Tell him everything. Get it all out there. What the psalm tells us also is that you can't, however, only take an exhaustive inventory of tears to the Lord. You must, and this is critical, you must also call to mind the quality of the character of God. You can't, you can't just take an exhaustive inventory of tears to God in your Christ. You must also, critically important, you must also call to mind the quality of the character of God. David actually does this in verse 4. And instead, and this is kind of a callback to John's sermon last week, but instead of curving in on himself like a shallow shaving of wood, David looks to God saying, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. But he says, Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. 
Steadfast love, this Hebrew word, which David declares, is hesed. We've talked about it before, but he uses the word hesed, which is often rendered loyal love, God's loyal love. But it also has embedded in it a surprising love, a love beyond what you could ever have expected or even hoped for. Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid, uh, he explains it wonderfully saying this. It's rather long, but it's rather helpful. He says, the most precious use of the word hesed in the Old Testament is used as a description of what God does. Having entered a covenant relationship with his people, God bound himself to act toward them in certain ways. And he is utterly faithful to his self-commitment. Psalm 136 explores what the Lord's hesed means in its broadest possible terms. For each line concludes with his hesed endures forever. Because the, Lord's, uh, because the Lord's hesed, he created the universe. And he rules it daily through his providence. In Psalm 23, the psalmist declares that the Lord's goodness and hesed will pursue him all the days of his life. The word pursue normally describes the action of pillaging armies and covenant curse. But the psalmist is convinced that instead of the covenant curse he deserves, and I love this, the Lord's faithful love and goodness will hunt him down relentlessly instead. It's beautiful. David invokes the sacred Hebrew word and therefore appeals to God and his unfailing goodness. He tells him his cry. He tells him truly what's going on in his life and in his heart. He tells him everything. But then he must, he must turn heavenward. He must look to the Lord. And when he sees his life that is uh, very finite and very fragile, he must look to someone who is solid and good. And that is exactly what he does. And you see, when we are suffering, this makes all the difference in the world, if you can believe it. The Hesed love of God makes all the difference in the world, but it's a big if. It's if you can believe it. You have to believe it. And what's really cool is that for David, it did. It, it helped him. He believed it. And at the end of the psalm, seemingly out of nowhere, his countenance and his confidence change. He, 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 reorients, he reorients completely, even though his circumstances apparently have not changed. So something happens in him internally. Something settles him. Something brings peace, even though he is, he is in pain, in agony. And in verse 8, 9, and 10, he just moves right along into it in his prayer. He says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a, mo in a moment. It's really an incredible psalm when you think about it. The beauty of it, the honesty of it, um, the practicality and the helpfulness of it. Psalm 6 is really interesting as it tells us pain is really painful. But it's also possible to pray through it 
and, co- and close the loop on the devastating nature of suffering and, and the impacts it has on the children of God. The process is plain and simple. For one who is buried under an avalanche of pain, we are to cry out, call to mind, and put confidence in God and his goodness. And that's it. That's the psalm. That's the psalm. It's sweet. It's beautiful. It's helpful. But, there's one but. Because it can't be that easy. Can it? But what if you're like me? And the wound is still open. What do you do if you're like me and the wound is still open? If you're sitting there this morning, you're saying, the wound is still open. What do you do when, like Frederick Bachman explains in his book, Bear Town, when you're dealing with a grief which is too large for time to absorb? What do you, have, what do, you do when you have a wound that is too large for time to absorb? Like you see the wound getting smaller and smaller, and you see God giving grace to it, but you're really uh, essentially saying, Lord, I'm still bleeding. I'm still bleeding. Every day, I'm still bleeding just a little bit. What do we do about that? What do we do? Well, we have to hear Jesus tell us, I bled too. We have to. We have to hear Jesus tell us, I bled too. We have to call to mind the blood of Christ which cascaded down the cross to convey the Hesed love of God to us. When you're still bleeding, you have to remember that Jesus bled too. And that blood cascaded down the cross to convey that promised goodness. It's where you must put your hope. The gospel tells us that our wounds share company with and in a God who was wounded for us. And there's where we find confidence. There's where we find hope. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah reminds us that we're not alone in our pain, but we have a God who condescended to us to show us just how much he is with us in the blood, in the death, and the sweat, and the tears, and the mess of life. Isaiah, the portion out of Isaiah 53, which you're all, I'm sure, familiar with, but it tells us, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And there's that line. What does it say? And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. And, and, and it tells us something really incredible about the gospel is that we can't only hear Jesus tell us, I bled too. We, all, we also must hear him whisper to us to see my scars. We must hear Jesus say, I bled too, but also see my scars. You see, when suffering has you suffocating, you must hold on to the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. 
that his wounds are healed. Often the most helpful thing I have found in my most profound pain is whispering, he is alive. Even though I feel like death, I have to remember he is alive. That is what Easter is all about. We're, we're hitching our lives. If, you, if you're wondering about Christianity, we're hitching on our lives on the cross and Easter. Everything is dependent upon those two magnificent acts of God. And so, if you're suffocating in pain, you have to hear the invitation from Jesus, come and see. Come see. See his hands. See his feet. See his, see his side. And see that it is him. The scars that he carried with him into eternity tell us that sin and death will not devour us into oblivion, which is one of my greatest fears of all time, is to close my eyes and go into the blackness of oblivion. That's my greatest fear. And Jesus tells me in the resurrection that there is hope on the other side of what I do not know or understand. And his scars, they tell us that he will one day reset everything, put it into its proper order, and here's my favorite part. He will restore everything that has been lost in Eden. Everything that has caused us great pain, that has caused us to cry out how long, God will restore it all. So, my friends, brothers and sisters, where are you hurting? Where does it hurt? Where do you hurt today? Are you swimming in tears? Are you troubled to your bones? Here's a helpful line from uh, the great hymn writer John Newton. Remember this. Remember that eternity is long enough to make amends for all of it. Eternity is long enough to make amends for all of it. He actually wrote that line for a dear friend of his who died suffering a life that was primarily filled with pain. His buddy, William Copper, who lost everything and everyone and, and wanted to take his life on multiple occasions. And from this man who was filled with so much pain, he co-wrote with John Newton some of the most beautiful, glorious hymns we still sing today. And what he needed to know, what we need to know, is that eternity is long enough to make amends for all of it. So my friends, when you are in pain and when you are suffering, remember to see the wounds and the scars of Jesus. And specifically, remember what they tell you. Remember what they tell us. They tell us that it won't always be this way. This broken world that we live in and feel all the grief and the suffering of, it won't always be, be this way. Friends, brothers, sisters, know that every single, you, every single tear you shed 
is not wasted. There's a psalm that actually tells us that Jesus bottles every single one of them. So what has he got? Just vats and vats of tears in heaven? Um, That's what Eric Clapton said. Um, But remember, one day, this this is what Revelation tells us, is that one day, every single one of those tears will be wiped away. So don't be afraid of your tears. It's you are, if you cry, you're a, you're a human. If you cry, you're a healthy human. If you can't cry, you might want to ask why. Anyway, I could go into all that, but I'm not going to. So I'll, I'll, I'll close with this, just a couple of questions. What, what do you do? The, the world is not right. We, we can, we, we've touched on that. But what do you do with your pain? The world is not right. What are you doing with your pain? And when you and others suffer in this world, what do you do about it? Jesus, with our weak and, and um, delicate hearts, we turn to you. Jesus, we are... We are in awe of your glorious good work on the cross and, the, and how it's all vindicated in the resurrection. Jesus, I pray that we would see and understand and explore the beauty and the power of your blood and the ramifications it has in the resurrection as we understand your scarred wounds, um, healing uh, that brings us uh, healing. God, we call to mind your hesed goodness, no matter, knowing no matter what, no matter where we are, what we've done, where we've been, um, how wayward and rebellious we get, God, your goodness is, is uh, true to your people. So help us to see and live into the covenant that you've established for us. And may we just continue to truly rest in, in, in who you are and what you have done. So as your church, we, we come to gather around you uh, even further and deeper to tell you it all and, and let you um, continue that work of, of healing in us. We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.